Welcome to Spiritual Living in a Chaotic World, where we journey together to discover the love of God in all circumstances of life. Welcome to Spiritual Living in a Chaotic World. My name is Dave Tucker. My name is Dusty Luthi. And it's actually good to see you here. We're not doing the Zoom thing. You're actually sitting across the table from me. Yes, it worked out today to do a part of our recording today. Yeah. I just said today like three times. Today, today, today. So cut that out for me. No. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here. Would you join me in my office today? We have a minister's meeting uh, in 10 minutes. Actually, it starts in about half an hour, but they'll start showing up in about 10 minutes and wondering why the door is closed and why we're recording and what we're doing. And, and they're going to be pounding on the door with donuts and you're going to get up and get your donut and then the whole thing's just over. So we need to just go ahead and do this introduction before they show up. Yes, because I get very unfocused when donuts are involved. Yeah, it can be distracting. I understand that. We have a very special guest today. Her name is Dr. Joretta Marshall. When are our guests not special? Have They're, we had not special guests? You know guests? what? That's fair. That's fair. That's a fair question. But today she is very special. For Yes. She's special <laughs> for this day. She is special for this day. She's a, an amazing person. She is a practical theologian and uh, she just recently retired and uh, is doing a lot of camping these days and doing the things that she's always wanted to do and so she took some time out of her busy her busy retired schedule to visit with us and we recorded this several weeks ago we usually do the introduction after the interview um, because we want to know how it goes and kind of tease it out a little bit and and all that and and so the the topic today is when the news is bad and dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. and this was we were mainly looking at uh you know things you know the political climate and and uh covid and all that and this was before the big war uh against ukraine so i think that this is an appropriate time to present this it's amazing how God works these things out and, you know, maybe supplying some energy, some encouragement for all of us who feel uh, helpless at times, also anxious about the things of the future. And um, we know that we serve a God who is not afraid to walk among the chaos, Yeah. Um, who not only encourages spiritual living but is the author of spiritual living yeah. in chaos and we you know just a few weeks ago we got done celebrating a season where we celebrated uh, God with us in Emmanuel mm. and we uh, pray for that in this season certainly of conflict and crisis and war and even more recently than that we celebrated uh, Lent, Ash, Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, which helps us to understand uh, that we are nothing without God. We are absolutely <sighs> nothing without God, and we certainly pray for changed hearts. And yes. again, that, that helps tame that chaos and turmoil in all of our lives. Yeah. So, uh, and then at the very end, we have a little fun game that we're going to play together, headlines, uh, are, if they're if they're real, if they're not. I don't know if you remember this because it's been a while since we recorded this. It was a whole lot of fun. Yes, it uh, kind of think along the lines, dear listener, if you've ever read a headline that starts with Florida Man. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all true. Uh, God bless the people of Florida. There's some crazy news coming out of there. But anyway, uh, we don't want to distract or take any time away from our podcast guests. So yeah. uh, let's jump right in. Sounds good. With us today is Joretta Marshall, and she retired from Bright Divinity School as a professor of pastoral theology, care, and counseling in June 2021. She served as dean of Bright Divinity School between 2012 and 2019. Uh, prior to joining the faculty at Bright, Joretta served on the faculties of Vanderbilt 
University Divinity School from 1989 to 1993, Ilif School of Theology, 1993 to 2001, and Eden University from 2001 to 2007. Uh, she was also the academic dean at Eden uh, University from 2001 to 2005. Doretta has authored and co-authored many books on pastoral care and practical theology. She's also written a number of articles in professional and church-related journals. Trained as a pastoral counselor, Doretta was a diplomat in the American Association of Pastoral Counselors, where she served as president from 2008 to 2010. She is an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church and holds membership in the Mountain Sky Conference. Doretta, thank you for joining us today. It's good to be here. Thanks. Now Opening what? question, Dave. Opening question. <laughs> you, what have you, you been this. doing? Well, here's the th- so what have you been doing in your retirement? Ah, nice question. Retirement is a gift, isn't it, at times? <laughs> um, figuring out how to make meaning out of not going to work every day, but finding different ways to make meaning. That's kind of nice. Yeah. But um, I'm doing a couple of things. One is uh, enjoying the Minnesota landscape, which is very different than Texas. So that's been fun and enjoying the uh, weather up here is different and family. Um, and then the kind of professional project is a colleague and I, Christine Neuger, who used to teach at Bright and taught yeah. at United Seminary here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, she and I are working on a book together that is designed to help um, churches uh, work on pastoral care with laypersons. So it's not a training module. It's a resource, particularly around narrative care. So that's been, yeah, it's been fun work. Yeah, she, she, I took a class with her in, in narrative therapy. So she was, it was, it was an amazing class. I think she Um, is by far, yep. One of the best teachers of narrative work. How far along are you on this book? Um, thanks for asking. We're like um, winding up the last edits, we hope. Oh, wow. So, That's exciting. Let yeah. us know when it's released. Yeah, it'll probably be in the fall, which is when lots of books get released for church, religious kinds of yeah. things. So I'll buy, a, I'll buy a signed <laughs> copy from you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I also get a professional reimbursement uh, allotment, so I will also be purchasing that. <laughs> So now I, I know that you like to do a lot of camping too. Have you had a chance to do much of that since moving out there? We've done a little bit of it, um, but uh, next summer will be better. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, we've invited you onto this podcast because I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been in the thing called COVID yeah. and we have some political unrest going on and, uh, Seems like every time you turn on the news, there's something bad. And um, so I'm just going to jump right in. You know, uh, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with the badness or with the news? How do how do we how do we as as Christians deal with the bad news. How do we find God in that? Yep. Yep. These are good questions and, and important questions, right? Because what, what I know is that um, people are tired of lots of things these days. Yeah. And um, the anger is pretty close to the surface in lots of ways. The fear is pretty close to the surface. And one of the things that I uh, know about human creatures is that when we have lots of feelings, we tend to get overwhelmed by them. And it's hard to sort out whether we're afraid, whether we're anxious, whether we're sad, whether we're um, something else, uh, whether we have residual trauma from other kinds of traumas. This particular moment, I think there's um, lots of grief and loss that is on the top of the surface because we just know that we have lost neighbors and friends and family members and colleagues. Um, but and there's time also, and events and uh, yeah, exactly. A different kind of loss. Well, that's exactly right. That it's not just uh, human beings that we've lost. Um, we've lost our understanding of what it means to gather together. 
to congregate, to grieve together, because even that's been complicated by the inability to get together physically. And Zoom is really wonderful, but it's not the same as, right? So when you think about the incredible depths of loss and how much that taps into other kinds of losses, um, there's a, a really good um, a theorist counselor name is um, Pauline Boss and, and her work deals with um, what she calls ambiguous loss. And the ambiguous loss of kind of knowing that we have lost things we can't even name yet, uh. right? We have lost things that will never come back to us in the same way. Those kinds of losses um, are really hard for us to talk about and process. And because we're apart from one another, people have figured out how to or how not to grieve very well or how not to grieve with other people. So it's, it is an incredibly complicated time. And I, I think our tiredness is in part because there is so much going on that the fear of making the wrong decision about when to wear a mask or when to go to church or when to sing in church and the anxiety about all the things we don't know, it just is overwhelming. And when we get flooded, um, you know, when our feelings become so full, it's hard for us to sit and kind of discern our way through them. Um, so just, just to recognize, number one, the incredible moment that we are in, which is, um, it's not that the world has not seen grief or loss or chaos before. Right. This one's of a particular kind, right? Hmm. Um, and it's um, surprising to me how challenging it is to figure out how to move through the process, how to move through the chaos, how to move through the grief and the loss. And on the other hand, it's not surprising at all because it's a very hard thing to do, especially so, when we're isolated. Right. Well, so that's that's created a whole new level, actually. And and it's been difficult for me as a pastor not being able to go into hospitals. Yes. Uh, especially as, as, as you, you know my heart and how, yes. how much I, I love being with people and, and being with them in the hospitals and visiting them and... and and not being able to touch and not being able to, you know, being stopped at the door. <laughs> yes. We have our own chaplains. And I'm like, yes, but you don't have a relationship with that person like I do, you know. And, and um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's been difficult on many different levels. And so I suppose, Doretta, with this difficulty and these feelings close to the surface, does that make it harder for us to process the bad news that, keeps bombarding us yeah yeah it's a nice question dusty it's it's um it makes it harder for uh, it, uh this is where we have to think about everybody does this differently right okay so for some people um keeping their head above water so to speak or just trying to survive in a moment um to get up in the morning is as much as they can bear to do for other people because of issues, uh, perhaps because of their resiliency or because of their, um, what uh, some authors talk about as grit, their ability to kind of sit with things that are really challenging and hard. Other people are finding it not easy to move through, but are finding resources either inside of themselves or in communities or with um, colleagues and friends and family members. Um, so everybody's kind of there's not a typical way that everybody moves through this, but that's also part of the chaos, right? Because we don't know whether to reach out to someone. We're like, will it make them anxious if we come to the door, Dave, as you said? So there's, um, the, the feelings for some are very close to the surface. For others, they're buried in their toes, right? Because some of us process things really at a different speed. Right. And there's, so much coming at us between the politics and the politicization of the grief even <laughs> right mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah there's a lot of stuff so where do we start you, you said we start by naming it well yeah or acknowledging acknowledging it 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a piece of um, when when I read the the Psalms, for example, the laments. Um, they're always um, really clear that they have feelings about what's going on, right? My tears yeah. have been my food day and night. Yeah. Um, my Lord, my God, where are you? Have you forsaken? Yeah. Uh-huh. Have you disappeared from me? I mean, the, the cries of the of the psalmist, um, they acknowledge that they're in bad shape. Yeah. And that they need to know that there is a God who hears and listens and responds. Um it's also the laments, I think, that help us not just name what's going on in a moment, but uh, remind ourselves that sometimes we have been here before, not in this moment, but we have crossed other hard paths. Hmm. We have met other crises. Uh, in, this, in the laments, it looks something at the end of the laments, it oftentimes looks like, um, but I will remember my God who has walked with me through the desert or... I will, uh, I will join again in the celebration and the jubilee. But there's something about the remembering of God's presence that even when we can't feel it, there's a remembering of the God who has been present in the past through generations and trusting that that God will show up again in the future. And that God is, what we know is that that God is always present. We just don't always recognize it or always see that God. Mm. And that's a hard thing for us to um, persevere when we, um, not so much that we don't believe that God is present, but when we always have to say, I, I really need God to be present and remind ourselves that we know that God is present. That's yeah. why I think we need each other. That right. community does that for us, that reminds us. So, so what does community look like when we can't be together? Yeah. I, I suspect that each of you in your churches um have uh, been trying to figure that one out right yeah uh-huh and i suspect that you've discovered some surprises like community on zoom doesn't look like fellowship hall no. but something still happens and there's still a gathering together of a spirit of people um that there's not a feedback that you get immediately in worship or uh, when you sing a song together um when you're reminded of a hymns of faith, there's a kind of reminder, literally, of songs that we carry in our bones, right? That that um, perhaps our grandparents sang, or our mothers and fathers, or those who brought us into the faith. It still happens. It just doesn't happen in the same way. So I, I think one of the challenges for churches and communities is to figure out um, what does it mean to be more than a building where we gather together? What does it mean to be a group of people who have common witness and who have common um, celebrations and who share in communion in weird and interesting and wonderful ways? Um, those are important community gathering moments. So as a theologian and a practicer of faith, are you concerned that, that our already maybe independent, autonomous society, pull yourself up by the bootstrap society is even leaning into more individualism throughout yeah. this, that folks, as we have become more isolated, find that to be the normal. And even for some people, the preferred normal, when that's the opposite of what we, we believe as, as Christ followers. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice question, isn't it? Um, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not concerned about it. I think that um, the tendencies in our culture to be autonomous individual pull ourselves up by the bootstrap kind of folks get reinforced in uh in the moments of chaos and moments of not knowing where to turn right so that if that's worked for us in the past we go back to it mm -hmm. the problem is it doesn't work in the long run gotcha right it's a short-term strategy to get through to the next day, but it doesn't necessarily give you the strategy to make meaning out of life, which I think is the oh, call. Oh, wow. Yeah. So to make meaning out of life, to make meaning out of a moment doesn't mean that you fix it, or doesn't mean that the feelings of anger and hurt and pain go away. It means that as you sit with that anger, hurt and pain, you realize that others are sitting with you. Yeah. Even in silence, even across spaces and time and places, 
um, and that you know we're never we're never where we are by ourselves. We didn't get here by ourselves. Wow. Yeah. That's profound. So um, when when you say sit with it, I know what you mean. I know that there are a lot of people who don't though. So so what does that look like to sit with this? Yeah, whatever this is, huh? Yeah, whatever this is. Yeah. Or what? It, what is it? What does it look like to sit with any uh, crisis or trauma or loss? Yeah. And again, again, I think that um, we all have different ways of dealing with some of those traumas and losses and griefs and unnamed anxieties, perhaps. It's, it strikes me, though, that some of the things that are in common when we hear people talk about not just how have they survived something, but how have they given meaning to a moment that seems like they ought to forget. Like uh, a crisis happens and you wish you could forget it, but really the forgetting of it would not be helpful. It's the remembering of it that actually gives you the resources to think through the next time something happens, how do I move through it? So, um, some of the things that I think are really helpful may not be helpful for others at all, but right. Right. So like, I do think that, um, quietness and meditation and peaceful living can be a resource, but if you have a house full of children who aren't able to go to school and you're trying trying to carry on your job out of the office or the bedroom or the dining room table makes it really hard to find peaceful spaces. Yeah. And in some ways it's a very, um, uh, just saying to people, find a quiet space assumes that they actually have one to find. Right. Yeah. Right. So figuring out how do we create quiet spaces in the midst of turbulence, that's a really hard thing to do, but it's possible. How do we connect with the earth um, when it feels like it's being destroyed, right? Uh How do we stand on the ground of being, if you will, literally the ground and connect to nature and the world around us when it feels like um, the chaos of the world is about ready to tear it apart? Yeah. So for me, the habits that seem to work are things like just slowing things down. That if I'm always trying to speed up, I can never outrun a moving train, right? Right. If I slow down, I can at least observe it. I can name it. I can see it. I can sit with it, if you will. Um. So slowing down for me is one of the pieces. Another piece for me is making sure that I have people with whom I can be in communion, in community um, at different times. Like um, it's good to have a diverse kind of set of friends and family because you need different things at different times. Sometimes Uh I need someone just to sit with me and say, you're right, that's really crappy. Uh So sit there. And just sit with me. Other times I need someone to kick me and say, okay, now it's time to move. <laughs> right? So it's yeah, it's kind of having people around who are attentive and yet not so who let you find your own way through it, but are attentive to you trying to get through it, right? Mm. Would that we could all have those kinds of people around us. Mm, amen. Yeah. I, I keep coming back to um, what, what you're saying, Jaretta, about finding people uh, to, to be in your life. And that happens most easily in a church setting. Or a bar. Or a school. Well, yeah. Or playing cricket with the rec league. Why is the church any different, Dave? That was very specific cricket. Do you play cricket? (laughs) I I just, that was random. It was pretty random. I know. Who plays cricket? I don't know. Maybe I was thinking croquet and I I don't know. Anyway, 
Yes, I'm from England. I can't even take an English accent. Yeah, don't try. But maybe what makes the church? <laughs> I totally just spoiled your question, Dave. No, uh, it didn't actually. No, it's. I, I'm just trying to find. So, so what, no, what you makes added. Different... You actually added to the to to it because I mean, how? What what sets the church? The solution is apart? the problem, though, because we can't be together. But there are other ways. There are other ways to gather. Yeah. Right now, um, so when I think about churches that are doing really good pastoral care, they're churches that aren't dependent on face-to-face -face and human interaction. They're churches that know how to get the uh, prayer tree going or that know how to assign um, 10 members of their community to one person to call every week. Yeah. Um, they're churches that are, that aren't dependent only on the informal networks of classes that they've all been in. Uh, one of the things that, that I do worry about these days are the numbers of people who may be showing up on screen at, to, to watch somebody's worship service, but there's no way to really identify how to reach out to them. Yes, that's, or how to let them reach out to you. That gives me nightmares, Joretta. Well, I shouldn't, it shouldn't give you nightmares because you have, to trust, you have to trust people's ability to find the right way for themselves, right? Yeah. But yes. there, is, there is something about, there's a lot of people watching. And uh, in some ways, that's been, unfortunately, the paradigm of church. You watch. And perhaps this is the moment when the church can say, okay, now let's not watch anymore. Let's really engage. Let's interact. Mm. Let's do more small group meetings. Let's do, let's make sure that we reach out to people that aren't in our Sunday school classes, but who show up at church. Those are, it, it's really easy for people to get lost right now in the cracks, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. The church... I mean, part of what makes the church unique in the sense of community, right, is that it's not just that we're all kind of oriented toward um, some kind of Christian living. I think it's that we all believe in this concept of faith and, tr and hope and love that really will be the, um, uh, the way in which we move through the crisis. It's through faith and hope and love that we uh, find, I think, the words that are the strongest and most compelling for, for the world around us. The greatest of these is love. And it comes in many forms, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Right. Yes. Right. Going back to our bad news concept, um, as someone who worked in journalism for years, I get this question a lot. Dusty, why do the news networks focus so much on bad news? Why don't they ever talk about what's good going on in the world? And I try to remind folks that the definition of news is something that is rare, something mm. that doesn't happen a lot, something that is new. And so I try to remind people that the fact that there's only bad news dominating the news is because it's rare. And that means that the majority of things that are happening in the world are actually good things. Huh. Um, so how do we, how can we, Jaretta, turn our minds and our hearts to focusing on the good in the world and that hope and the love, um, the things that can overpower those bad news headlines that, that cause us to really stress out sometimes? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a powerful question. And, and in part, isn't it also true that, um, the news, if you will, it's not just that it's rare, but it captures people's attention because mm -hmm. it's unique or it's rare or it's a moment or it's overwhelmingly good or overwhelmingly bad. Mm -hmm. So it's not that we always get bad news. It's that it's hard to remember the good news that we hear. Oh. It's overwhelmed by the fear or the anxiety or the grief or the loss or whatever it is that gets triggered in people when they um when you hear the headlines of hospitals and the the incredible strains that human beings must be under to serve in those hospitals yeah um it's just hard for me to imagine that um 
it's going to take years for some of those folks to really come to terms with what's happened to them in the midst of trying to care for people. And it's that second tertiary, uh, secondary and tertiary, both compassion fatigue, but also the secondary and tertiary honest wounding of people just because they're in the middle of the chaos that I think is going to take the longest time for our culture and our world, families, churches to come to terms with. Um, We've seen some people have seen a lot more of the negative sides of human creatures than anyone ever should Mm -hmm. in a two year period, right? So it's also, it, it, it's uh, what I like about the question, Dusty, is that it reminds us that it's not an either or, right? It's not either bad news or good news. It's how do we live in the streams of both? Mm. Because there is good news around us and we do hear it, but it may not be on the TV, mm-hmm. right? And it sometimes is not even from the pulpit. <laughs> um, right. It's, it's not that we need... Um, I think the worst thing churches could do at this moment is pretend that this is all just going to disappear and go away and we're going to get back to whatever normal seems to be for people. Um, I think that's a way of denying the reality and that one will catch up to us eventually and erode our sense of faith. Um, So it's really living living in the moment and recognizing that it's not the last word or the first word, it's a moment in time. Mm-hmm. And the, the last word hasn't been yet. Mm-hmm. There's more to come in terms of, of the work of God in the world, the work of human beings in the world with God, the spirit moving in the world. There's more to come. And there has been a whole lot that we've learned from in the past. So it's bringing those together in a new way. It's, it's, I think one of the dangers in our moment of this moment is is that um, this kind of bifurcation of good and bad of right and wrong of who's right and who's wrong. And we have an an inability to, to tolerate ambiguity at the moment. And that's oftentimes true in the midst of crisis because crisis brings ambiguity, right? So it's easy for people to turn on one another or to see people as all good or all bad. And that we definitely know is not the truth. Gotcha. Now you've mentioned some words like connecting and, and you haven't, and you mentioned compassion. I'm thinking like of empathy Uh, in your pastoral experience. Do you see it is easier for humans to identify with other humans who, who are mourning or those who are experiencing times of celebration or joy? Which can we identify with better? Yeah, I suspect we all can identify with, it, it's again, the both andness, right? That at times um, we can easily identify with somebody's pain because it's been our pain. Yeah. And oftentimes that slips over into this kind of sympathy that's not very helpful. Mm-hmm that empathy is really the ability to imagine what it might be like for somebody else without having to be in their shoes. We can never walk in someone's shoes, right? but we can begin to imagine something. Um, We can even begin to imagine the good news. We can begin to imagine what it's like to feel liberation or freedom or what it's like to feel a part of God's network of care that takes an imagination sometimes. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wonder about is how people keep their imaginations alive in the midst of survival. Um, When you hear the, when you hear people talk about um, moments of survival, whether it's from a personal trauma or from the trauma of the Holocaust or the trauma of racism, um, there's an imaginative ability to begin to see that the world does not have to be what it is, that it could be something different. And that imaginative ability, I think is part of God's creative chaos in our mind, invites us into something else. Isn't that, I think what people call the audacity of hope is that hope is imagining a different different ending? I hope so, (laughs) yes, (laughs) literally. 
This, Which is this. good news, kind of like you were talking about. The the ending is that, that this isn't done, that that we believe in this spiritual living life, that there is the story isn't done and that, that it's gonna end in a happy ending. Yeah, Anna, yeah, no, there's there's a little trick, right? That we want to believe that it's going to end in a happy ending. And what we're really um, what the promise is is that God will be with us on the journey. Yes, mm. yes. And the promise gets confused with, and it will have a good ending, mm. right? So the promise, if you look at the story of um, God and Moses encountering one another in the burning bush, well, how will I know that it's you who sent me? And the answer is not, well, I've given you a really good theological education at a good <laughs> divinity school. The answer is, I will be with you, mm. right? I will be with you. And that I will be with you, I take quite seriously and literally because it's that part of God that opens us up into communion with others, into a sense of beingness with others, a sense of being able to be alone without feeling isolated and lonely. That's the kind of breaking open, I think, that um, is happening in lots of places. And, you know, Moses didn't reach the promised land. Yeah, although we don't, it, yeah, although that the end of the story isn't there yet, right? Yeah. What's well, this is true. What does the promised land, uh, what, who gets to decide what that looks like? Amen. Uh, I was thinking about this in the shower recently. Yeah. Who gets to decide what the perfect church looks like mm. or what the perfect pastor looks like? My or, session does. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Who gets to decide what the promise is? Uh-huh. No, that's 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 incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Who decides what the promise is? Well, God creates the promise. So huh. huh. God is the promise. Mm. Mm. Or God turns us loose to figure out how to help design the promise. So Ooh. this is this. Oh man, yeah. So the, <laughs> so much stuff here. So this is what I'm seeing. We are in. We are all currently in collective trauma mode. We're we're all dealing with the same trauma, and and while you're in trauma or crisis or uh, or any type of grief, um, the 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 first response is that thing that God put within us, the fight or flight or freeze mm. part of the mind, you know, and 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 I almost I see that happening a lot as it relates to decisions that are being made uh, today uh, for for others. Um, in, in, in this, and I'm just going to expand it out beyond COVID uh, in the mm -hmm. political, in the political arena and, and these other things. And, and you mentioned, you talked about creativity. So how do we move collectively from this uh, impulse of, of fight, flight, or freeze into a more creative uh, mindset? Mm. Yeah, nice. I, um, yeah, I, I appreciate the description of the um, fight, flight, freeze. Um, I tend to not. I tend to not want to begin to figure out whether people are doing that or not. And the reason is, it doesn't give people the audacity to go back to the word audacity. It doesn't give the people around me the freedom and audacity to choose a different way. If Same I've already thing. decided, if I've already decided people are going to either um, freeze or run away or fight, it doesn't give an alternative. I got you. Okay. Right. So yeah. another way to ask that kind of question, because I think you're quite right that, that there's a um, people are dealing with the current moment in a, thousand different ways and more right some of that some of them are some of us are um finding more healthy ways than not to move through others of us are cutting people off 
others of us are trying to figure out why to get up in the morning. There's kind of like a whole host of patterns. So the question is not, how do I figure out what people are doing, but how do I literally care regardless of how people are doing what they're doing? Like, how do I care for those who want to fight at everything I say? Now that's a hard one, mm-hmm. right? Um, those are the people that you'd like to say, go somewhere else and play. <laughs> um, and yet, if we really believe in the gospel, it calls us to care about people who are really different from us and who do it differently. Now, let's not confuse that kind of notion of care with um, letting people abuse us or letting people walk on us or letting people um, dump all of their stuff on us. But to care could mean also to say, when you are done being angry, I would really appreciate a conversation, but I'm not going to do it while you're angry. So it's setting those really clear boundaries for conversations that say, I want to be a conversation partner. I don't, we don't have to agree on things, but I'm not going to do it while you're angry, or I'm not going to do it while I'm too angry. So let's find a different time. I mean, this is kind of simple in some ways and yet really hard to do. Well, that's narrative therapy 101. Yeah, it's really, it's really hard to do. And it's hard to do. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to do. It's, you know, it's easier to care about people we like. You use the word boundaries. Do you see that this time in our history as Americans and global uh, living people uh, that, that we need to get better at setting boundaries? Do you think that is a key for, for spiritual health right now? I, I think that never hurts. I think if the question is, what are the boundaries for and where do they begin and end? And how do we, how do we um, take good care of ourselves and care about others at the same time, right? It's that goes back to that. How do we do both at the same time? Mm-hmm. I think that um, uh, being able to articulate what we need and what's important to us and what's mm-hmm. valuable to us is one way to begin to say, um, these are my values that I'm going to live out of. And with those values, with those systems of belief around me that means i'm not going to um, denigrate other people i'm going to call people on it when i see hear a racist joke i'm going to call myself to account when i um, let my privilege get in the way of listening deeply or caring so that it's it's a kind of constant piece right that's in our it's in our being that we have to kind of keep ourselves clear about what's important to us. Um, and I think oftentimes moments of crisis or moments of chaos really push what's important to us. How do so, we want to live this life? So do you see this as a, maybe a positive thing, something to create something new? Um. I think the COVID experience, you mean the COVID experience in particular? Yeah, right. I think the COVID experience is creating new things in all of us, some of which are really helpful and some of which we need to kind of really sit back and think about. Well stated. Yeah, that it's, um, we will not be the same people two years from now that we were two years ago. Right. And that's not a bad thing or a good thing. But once I recognize that, then I can say, how do I want, how do I prefer in the narrative language, right? How do I want to prefer to live? And how do I move toward that? That's a real gift. Which creates, which involves creativity. Yeah, I think so. And imagination. Yeah. Yeah. This is great stuff, Jaretta. Thanks. We, We could go on for hours with this um tell you what uh when you when your book comes out maybe <laughs> yes. maybe maybe i could get you back on and maybe have christy nuger come on as well and uh, and talk about the book and what's in it and and uh 
and explore that a little more. I, I find that fascinating. I actually tried to teach a class while I was doing supervised ministry uh, in, uh, in, in pastoral care um, to some elders and uh, could not find good curriculum out there. And so you're creating something that, uh, that is desperately needed. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks. How, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, great question. So I still have an, an email address through Bright Divinity School. It's j.marshall at tcu.edu um, is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Or uh, sometimes I do Facebook, but uh, really my email address is the best. Okay. Very good. Very good. And your, your books, most of them on Amazon. Do you have a website or anything? I do not have a website and I, I suspect there are books on Amazon. I don't keep track of them very well. <laughs> I Amazoned earlier and I am a hundred percent positive. I have, uh, your pastoral care and rule congregations book oh, yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Uh, That's a good that, book. Yes. So, uh, but Dave, I know Dave, Dave likes to get a little silly occasionally uh dave is actually <laughs> right uh dave has created a questionnaire for you and i jaretta yeah yeah it's it's a it's a little game that we're gonna play talking about news and all and um i have some news headlines and i'm going to ask uh each one of you to tell me whether they're real whether they're a figment of my scary, deep <laughs> imagination. <laughs> Sounds good. We're ready to play, right, are, are we ready? We're ready. All right. Okay. So here's the first, the first one. Eagle attempts to carry a labradoodle poodle to her nest in Florida. True. All things are possible. <laughs> So is, is, well, that's, yeah. that's not exactly an answer. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I made that up. Ah, good for you. I just I right out I the just... bat, just like that. How do, you, how do you like that? Oh, I thought I heard that the other day. Man. And it happened in Florida. <laughs> like Florida, everything weird happens. Everything Florida, happens. So... The, there's a whole, there's a whole Facebook page on. It's called Florida, Florida Man, Man, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Next one, Dave. You can get lost in that page. <laughs> Both Jaretta and I are like zero for zero. Womp, womp. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, okay. For you. Britain's Britain's oldest pub closes after 1,229 years. That would be a great loss. See, I, I respond to, I don't do the true, true and false so well. That, that would be horrible. Like, if that's a true headline, like, I'm just sad. Like, shame on the Brits for not saving that thing. I'm going to say it's true, and I'm going to be mad about it all day. What do you think, Dave? Is it true or not? Well, you, I, I didn't. So, so do you? What do you say, Jaretta? Dave knows the answer. I have right. the answer. I understand that. I, okay. I'm, I'm she's, just saying it's she's, sad. She's saying it's sad. It is sad, and it happened. Oh, uh, February eight, a pub, pr uh, purported, purported to be the oldest Britain, oldest in Britain, is closing because of technical difficulties. Hmm. One thousand two hundred twenty-nine years after it was established. Wow. It's a long That's, time. I don't know time. what technical difficulties you could have other than having a tap and having it open. Oh, did I say technical? I meant financial. See, oh. you know, I'm of the age where I have to have bifocals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, financial makes more sense. Financial. I'm sorry. I meant financial. Okay, here's another one. Workers at Scottish Golf Course unearth 95-year-old message in a bottle. In the golf course. In the golf course. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I'd say that one's not true. False. Workers doing renovations February 3rd on a Scottish golf course made a surprising discovery. A 95-year-old message in a bottle buried in a ninth hole bunker. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> I'd be interested to know what the message said. And why would you bury it in a golf course bunker? Well, it was, it's 90, it probably wasn't there 95 years ago. Well, oh, well, it's only 95. Anyway, it was, okay, you next. know what? It was probably a message that said, uh, we've been trying to reach you about your car's yeah, warranty. Yeah, right. Yeah. Touche. Okay. Uh, 
businessman finds a $20 bill in his Taco Bell burrito, uses money to invest in bean futures. That has Dave Tucker written all over it. <laughs> I agree with you. It's fake. Yeah. You guys know me too well. <laughs> that sounds like a regular Friday night for Dave. Hey, look, $20. <laughs> Wait, put what? this back yeah. in the Taco Bell. Yeah, put it back in the futures. Uh, okay, this is this one is for you, Dusty. Um, missing main cat returns. Missing main cat turns up in Florida seven years later. True. That stuff happens all the time. True. It's true. February 3rd, a cat who went missing from her owner's main home seven years ago will soon be reunited with her family after turning up more than 1,400 miles away in Florida. Oh, poor kitty, kitty. Uh, don't cry. Okay. Uh, two more. Um, Vegas couple surprised to find baby poo in their baby's diaper in the shape of Elvis. <laughs> Imagination. Is that what you said? <laughs> and we know Dave has one of those. <laughs> you called me on it. Okay. Um, you're right. It was fake. All right. Last one. <laughs> so grossed out. <laughs> Shape of Elvis. Loose chicken found wandering in Pentagon security area. That sounds true. Yeah, I think so too. February 3rd, animal rescuers in Virginia responded to an unusual national security situation. A chicken on the loose in the Pentagon's security area. Wow. That's frightening. Like, you wonder, like, was it being tested? Or, like, where did that chicken <laughs> come from? Who knows what happens in the Pentagon? Did someone just bring it in for lunch? <laughs> Hard telling. Somebody's got Just stick them in the microwave. Yeah. Doretta, thank you so much for being with us. and uh, Thanks for letting us get silly, silly with you. And, yes. Uh, Thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. It was our pleasure. And yeah. our, the pleasure of our listeners as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So promise me you'll reach out to us when you get your book released. All right. And All right. Uh, we're, we look forward to further conversations with you. Thank you kindly. Peace. Peace. Peace to you as well. All right. Dusty, say goodbye. Goodbye, Dusty. <laughs>